a snippet from a street corner sermon yelled out by the character Hazel Motes in Flannery O'Connor's novel Wise Blood goes as follows. Where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going to was never there. And where you are is no good unless you can get away from it. Where is the place for you to be? No place. Nothing outside you can give you any place. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 98, Brutal Worship. Just open your mouth and say yes. No. The Ancient Ones were wrong. The Shining Man had dragged Lilith Babbitt's decayed corpse across the Arctic Tundra. They saw her body and assumed they knew how everything went down. The assumption was a fair one. The Walker, as Ancient Ones are apt to call him, doesn't just make identities. He makes identities melded with bodies. The body and soul are supposed to be inseparable. The Shining Man's trick was not that he could create. He could not. I repeat, he could not. But he did know the secret knowledge of how to extract identity from body. Everyone saw the video of Babbitt's ascension. Even the ancient ones. This was not an act of the shine. It was the walker's work. Or at least, a sign of his times. This, in part with the gossip that Leviathan was rolling in her bed, readying herself from slumber, along with Miles Faw, Adam's apprentice for this generation, ginning up everyone about the Croatoan's words leading to a successfully artificially made door, all combined for an assurance package to your average ancient one that the end of days was now. The time for action had commenced. The ancient ones were wrong. There was Stonehenge. Ancient monoliths erected in a circle in the middle of nowhere. It was sunset, and walking from stone to stone, an aging woman, well-groomed and well-dressed, was splashing buckets of blood onto each pillar. The woman marks herself, pacing back and forth, now seemingly counting, from each stone to the center of the circle. She stands, head black-red with blood, stretches her arms out crucifix-style, and raises her head to the heavens. The bloody woman holds the position for 10 seconds. Twenty. The edge of the sun drips under the horizon's bow. The woman, Jennifer clearly recognized as Lilith Babbitt, 
flew up into the sky. Well, not flew. It looked like she was picked up by an invisible hand. She ascended like a dart into the hemisphere, like a marionette wrenched up by the heart, like a magnet pulling its other half home. clouds, past the clouds, the temperature is plummeting as Lilith loses consciousness, overwhelmed by this astronomical ascension and the g-forces that come with it, up, up, up and away, like a shooting star destined for the outer limits. Through the troposphere, the unconscious Lilith Babbitt, still propelled miraculously ever higher, head first, enters the stratosphere. She's barreling through the ozone layer now. The air pressure is one one thousandth here what it is on sea level. She should be dead. But it's not about that, is it? That's not how the gears of this machine work. Higher, higher, higher! Almost to the mesosphere now, the temperature plummets to near 85 below zero. Babbitt's body hardens as icicles form at the eyes and mouth. Higher, higher, but slowing, slowing. There, the holy moment. The angle of repose. The place where Lilith Babbitt can no longer soar, but does not yet fall. There, the angle of repose. That holy moment. Mouth open, face pointed directly up, towards the dark heavens. That's when, there, that holy moment, that angle of repose. When her identity is scooped out, pulled right out of her body, right through her open mouth. Then, it's over. She falls back to Earth, soulless, dead. Lucky for the shine, her body falls in a dense forest. The body banged around from limb to limb before finally plopping all contorted to hell on Earth's hard ground. This is the lifeless, meaningless body that the Shining Man dragged to the Arctic. The Ancient Ones were wrong. The body's presence didn't mean what they thought it must. It didn't mean that her sacrifice, her magical jettison, was a failure. It got her, the marrow of Lilith Babbitt anyway, where she needed to go. Into the courts of the once and future Walker. beautiful boy, faces light as day, turned purple with anger. Jen watched his expression shift from rage, to exhaustion, to sadness. And then, a cringe of hope. Come with me anyway. No. You'll die without me. You choose death over life with me? Jen stared at the immature boy. All his power, all his charm, and yet here he stood, a whining, petulant little boy. Then die. 
Jennifer Dash. He was gone as the D flicked off the roof of his mouth. Before Jen's eyes, the floor around her evaporated into dust. The lake that refreshed her moments ago dried up in a heartbeat, leaving only before her and behind desert. The sun, diffused still by the ever-constant cloud cover, belted heat waves down. Jen felt weak again. She remembered that though Miles gave her drink, she was still starving and her body still caroling the swan song of withdrawals and revolt. What now? How do you solve the world now? One foot in front of the other. That's all you can do now, old girl. There was hope, of course. Of course there was hope. She was a prisoner, after all, before Miles swept her out of thin, or was it thick, air. She was a prisoner. Miles saved her from that perdition. Or did he? Mark Janner was taking her alongside trusty friend Father Thomas to a ladder. He was inviting her to climb. Against this arid breeze, a mysterious ladder didn't seem nefarious at all. It seemed simple, freeing. If only there was a ladder here. But there was no ladder. Not here. Not in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Keep the car running. Keep the engine going. One step after another. As Jen walked silently and alone, confident now that there was no dark shadow watching her, certain there was no black SUV spying on her just around the corner, here, alone at last, and perhaps as destined, Jen thought over her friends. Had they been dealt her cards, how would they have played them? Is there something they would have done differently? Would Larna von Schloss had played the game better? Both Betty and Jen ended up Atticus-less, but maybe... Had Betty been given the keys to understanding the history of the world, maybe she would have done something better with it, ended up in a better place. Maybe Betty wouldn't have ended up beaten and alone in the desert like Jen. The sun burns. It pierces the skin, burning deeper and deeper with every second. There's no shadow to hide under. Jen always thought that clouds held back the sun, kept her power at bay. But here, today, the sun beats down, like a vicious owner beats his slave. All the way through the clouds. The clouds, they stop nothing. The clouds are an illusion. What about Tiff? Her crime was jealousy. What if she was dealt a queen-king suited instead of the off-suited 2-6? What if she was prettier? Patriot would have looked at her differently, treated her better. What if... What if Tiff was raised by loving parents? What if she had a proper education? What if she didn't get caught up in the Patriots versus Parrots war? What if she never met Jen? Maybe her end would have been different. Not broken and bleeding at the bottom of a hotel room. One foot after another. Keep going. Keep fighting. Don't focus on the pain. Ignore the reality that you're going to die out here. Born alone, die alone. It's the epitaph of everyone eventually, right? What does it even matter? Think about Piper. No one knew more than him. 
No one had more life experience, more expertise. He wasn't a bad man, at least not in a sadistic sense. You can't blame the man. All he ever did was try. Maybe the way he tried was all wrong, but by God, at least he tried. <laughs> He's trying now. And yet, where does it get him? Nowhere. Nowhere. His life is a long practicum in how to fail. Is that all life is? Striving under the sun against the wind? <laughs> is there no point? Jen tried to imagine a point, a reason for all this. It was not merely her own predicament. You could follow her numbers easy enough, figure out how her life played out. But the big picture was harder. No, not even harder. Not harder. Impossible. How do you... How do you find any rationale in all this? What's the meaning of life? Is there any meaning? How could there be after all this? As Jen's skin boiled and her body began its revolt against its identified leader, the answer to this question was simple. There is no meaning. There is no answer. You can't answer a problem that doesn't even really have a question. You can't solve a world that has no formula. She's the only one that's asking the question. She's the only one searching for reason, for meaning. You're born, and no one actually tells you, hey, there's a riddle here that you have to unlock, that you have to figure out. Jen tried to put one leg over the other. She wanted to keep walking, but her joints knotted up. Pulled tight. She fell over. As quickly as she came to the ground, the arid wind began bearing her. The dust blew, and blew, and blew, and blew, and blew, and blew, Jennifer Dash closed her eyes. Not everyone believed life was meaningless. Alexandra Kaitel Amaru was a convert. She believed now in many things. She believed the world was ending. The ending, one way or another, meant that everyone, everywhere, was going to die. The bombs, the lonely plague, the pain of childbirth, all of it was just a prelude to this up-and-coming final moment. But more importantly, Lex believed in a second death, one after the end of the world. The first one, everyone goes through. What follows is what Aaron Amaru, the prophet of the island, Lex's now father-in-law, saw in a vision. He saw it first, then passed it on. Before she believed, while she was still pining away on the island with the Amaru family for no good reason, Aaron grabbed her shoulder. In that touch, that holy moment, he passed it on. The vision the truth of the world. There is a second death. It's the death of identity. Croatoan. You see, it's the death not merely of life, but of all memory. 
Take, for instance, our veritable protagonist, Jennifer Dash. If she dies today buried in an avalanche of hot sand, she will live on. This is only natural. She'll live on because she will be remembered. Neurons in various people's minds will reflect on Jen, and in that way, she'll always live. She'll be remembered by you, by me. You won't yet see. It's hard to explain. Lex herself only saw in part, but she and her husband acted on that part. They acted with urgency. The end was upon the world, fastly approaching, like a lion in wait. That's why they took Jen's boat. There was a nick of time. They had to spread the word. The world was ending, and with it, Croatoan was coming. But there was a way out, a way to avoid the second death. To everyone they met, in the streets, in the soup kitchens, in the boulevards of the rich and famous, to everyone, they brought their warning and their urgent message. Most would never listen. Most couldn't. In all honesty, thousands, millions even, were born to die twice. Born to Croatoan. This is a harsh truth. It's not philosophy. This is not semantic conjecture. This is not quibbling over metaphysical ideals that can never be proven. This is not the endless nonsense discussions like whether or not the number three is immortal and has a reality outside of our imagination. No, this is not a plaything. This is real. It's hard, and it has steep edges. Be careful. You might cut yourself. Lex, once upon a time, was a mere cryptozoologist. She was that because she believed her mother was a selkie, a seal creature of Irish folklore. Why else would mother have left her family? Now, in these last days, minutes even, Lex spoke a simple sermon, yelling out, her vocal cords bleeding and breaking from overuse. She said, in various ways, in various tomes, to survive, to not experience the second death, pray this prayer on your lips, in your heart, in your soul. Repeat it after me. God, remember me in your kingdom. That was it. That was all. Open your eyes. Open them, old girl. (gasps) Jennifer Dash opened her eyes. It hurt. Initially, her vision was muddied horribly. Plumes of dust covered her open eyes. Streams of sand caked themselves onto her viscous eyeballs. The muscles, however, in her shoulders were able to act. They responded to the echo of her heart. Get up! Jen pivoted her shoulder, arching it against her shoulder blades. Her hand, faced palm down, pushed against the hot earth. Slowly, like an unlikely King Kong, somehow, after the credits roll, arising from the indented streets of New York after his plummet from the summit of the Empire State Building, Jennifer Dash got up. She rose high, unbuckling her knees, pushing against her aching, throbbing, ill-tempered joints. Death is not peace, my friends. Death is not peace. Get up. Look around. Jen looked, searching for hope beyond hope. Leviathan, you monster, come at me, Jen thought. Come at me. Come eat me, you ancient protector. I'm not going without a fight. She surveyed the land. It had only been a moment. She hadn't lain fallen on the sand long, 
But now she saw the tide of fog had gone. Like a virgin's veil at the moment of you may now kiss the bride, the fog was gone. And in the distance, very far away, there was a ladder leading up. She wanted to run. She took a step, and her foot betrayed her. She fell. She lifted herself anew. Again. Get to the ladder. Get there and die. But God forsake you, old girl. Do this last thing. She moved. She took steps. She fell. She pushed against the burning earth. She fell. She hit her head. Blood ran down her cheeks from a gash. The blood flowing moistened her chapped lips. Broken, she went. Broken, she endured. It was a lifetime away, the white ladder. The sun broke below the horizon. The temperature fell. Quickly, it was cold. And quicker still, the light of the sun vanished, taking with it the image of the ladder. It was dark. No moon in the sky. Can't see the ladder. But believe, believe in it. Walk towards it nonetheless. One step after another. One step. One more. On one particular step, after dusk, Jen's left ankle twisted and like hollow eggshells cracked and shattered. <laughs> so, she drug herself over the desert floor. She pushed. And pulled. And dragged herself. thing, old girl. You could die soon. Just get there. Solve this much. Just this much. All through the night she strove. Finally, after hours, the sun pierced the cold night from behind Jen Dash. The ladder now was just a few feet away. When she got there, she clung her limbs around the first rung of its pearly white facade. Now climb. Climb, old girl. It's impossible to do this thing. One-handed, starving, and with a shattered ankle. But Jen climbed. She climbed and climbed. Rung after rung after rung. Up into the sky. Into the limits. And past. My name's Jen, by the way. Pleased to meet you, Jen. Jen stuck out her arm to shake hands, but both of the boys were preoccupied holding gauze and unraveling it whilst applying pressure to her wound. Jen, in her flirtatious giddiness, wanted to tell the boy everything. That meant her plans to solve the world. Will you cook me some breakfast? Oh, um, sure? What do you want? Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks. 
cooked. I like them in milk. Orphan one, lift up your eyes. I've given you my name. You are mine. I know well the sound of your cries, and you won't be denied. For I'm by your side. Because whatever we are, we've become more of that over time. Oh, Sam Dearden walked away. Jen called out to him before he strolled too far. Wait, so what's the answer? What makes us different than the animals? Ambition! says, we're sorry, we're hungry. Hungry? Then why not ask for food? We would have given you food. We know, we know, it's wrong. It's wrong of us to want it. It's wrong of us to ask. Please tell us who you are. Sounds like he's crying. Orphan one, lift up your eyes. I've given you my name. This world runs on hate, you know that, right? I can't just take everyone's word for it. I need to solve the world myself. I need to see. I need to feel myself. I can't trust your experience, whatever it is. I only have this one life, Father. I know. Don't waste it. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. Reality, truth, can only be measured at the extremes. It can only be felt when something like Windigo enters. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I believe you care about truth, and when presented with reality and all the truth that's stuck inside it, you won't turn away. No more cold iron shackles on my feet. Jenna, you have what's called dissociative identity disorder. I'll fly away. You're saying, I'm crazy. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. If the world goes away, so does our story, Jen said to herself. Over and over again, she said it in her mind's eye. If the world goes away, 
so does our story. You're a disappointment to me, Jennifer Dash. song. We endure life on this hard rock, searching for acceptance. Because the world is broken, our words are corrupted. Because death is inescapable, our song sounds cold. Because injustice abounds, our voices grow weary. Because pain is everywhere, our worship is brutal. These are the cards we were dealt. We can play no other hand. So we hope beyond hope. And we climb. Hey, this is Dante Stack. I'd like to give a very special thanks to Miss Kayla Nichols, the artist whose song you heard at the latter part of today's episode. Uh, the song is entitled Orphaned Ones. I heard it for the first time through my wife maybe three, four years ago, and I haven't been able to get too far away from it since then. It's, I think, a very powerful melody with even more powerful and provocative message that every orphaned person is loved. Please uh, support Kayla. You'll find links to her work on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. While I'm at it, all of the music and sound effects used in this episode and every other episode of the podcast are appropriately attributed at DanteStack.com. Uh, so you can find Kayla Nichols searching her name, K-A-Y-L-A, first name Kayla, 
Last name Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S. Uh, you can find her on iTunes. You can also find her at kaylanicholsmusic.bandcamp.com. Or you can find her on Facebook. So thank you, Kayla. It's an honor to be able to use your music. Uh, for those of you who have submitted outros for Solve the World, thank you. There are still about 15 spots left. So if you're interested and we're thinking about it last week or just heard about it, go ahead, do it. Send me an email. I'm at DanteStack at gmail.com. Uh, write the heading next time on Solve the World, and I'll send you a script. Usually it's only three or four sentences. It's not very long, won't take you long. Um, and then you get to be a part of the show forever. And just so you're not getting too depressed, this little outro gig was just kind of testing the waters to see if you guys were ready for maybe a bigger commitment. It's not what you think. Uh, you'll hear about it at the end of episode 100. All right, there's just two left. And next week, I'm finally going to throw the Solve the World Society a bone because I haven't in a long time. By the way, after episode 100, I'm going to take off the society page and that'll just be a thing that lives in our collective memories. Um, but next week, instead of releasing episode 99 as usual, I'm only going to release it on my society page next week. So if you're just a regular listener, tough luck. You're going to have to wait two weeks for episodes 99 and 100 to come out simultaneously on the Tuesday, two weeks from this release date. So if you're a society member, hooray! By the way, if you want last-minute entrance into the society, the only way I'm going to allow it this go-round is just a 10-buck tip or more. You can find my tip jar at DanteStack.com. Click on the icon that says tip jar. You can tip me through PayPal or Stripe. So go ahead, do that, and get the penultimate episode of Solve the World a week early. Or, really, a week on time. All right, until then, just two more. See ya.